Hey, y'all. Welcome to Our Sistery. I'm your host, Sarah. And today, my very special guest is my husband. Hey, how y'all doing? And his name's Joaquin, if you don't know. <laughs> All right, we are going to talk about Gordon Parks. Do you know who Gordon Parks is? Uh, a little bit, not much. Okay. What can you tell me about him? What I know? Uh, photographer. And he was known for capturing the life of uh, African-Americans in the early 1900s. 1900s. <laughs> the kids. 1900s. No, it reminds me of the students, like the kids, when they're like, you're born in the 1900s. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, think about it. You're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it just sounds weird. All right. We're going to dive deep into his life and works. Okay. This might be another two-part episode because we do have a lot to unpack here, but I'm going to see how it goes today. Okay. I'm good. Sounds good. I know almost all of you listening have seen at least one photograph taken by Gordon, but you probably have no idea who the artist behind the camera is. You also might have heard maybe some music from him or seen a movie. Kind of crazy, but that's why I'm here. I'm going to take you on this wonderful art history journey. We are going to take it all the way back to the beginning. So let's start back in the year 1912. And we're in Fort Scott, Kansas. And this is the year Gordon would be born. He was born on November 30th. And is the youngest of 15 kids. Wow, that's a lot of <laughs> kids. It's insane. Like, I already have a hard time with one kid. I can't imagine having 15 kids. Yep, that's a lot of <laughs> expenses. <laughs> a lot, yes, exactly. A lot, yes, exactly. From several accounts, we do know that Gordon's mother, Sarah, started making payments on a piano around 1919. And so it's suspected that this is where Gordon first begins to learn how to play, you know, the piano and some music. Um, Not much is really given on this. I'm guessing he's self-taught because later on in the biography that I read, it says he can't read music or write music. And so I'm guessing he just doesn't know, you know, Mm. the notes. Because if you were taught, you you would be able to. Yeah, sure. You're, you're paying for that right yeah exactly <laughs> so by the time it's the year 1927 gordon graduated from the ninth grade with 11 others at plaza school in fort scott kansas this was a segregated school but after his graduation he started to attend an integrated high school in fort scott so he went from segregation to desegregation just a year later in 1928 gordon's mom passes away on may 9th 1928. Gordon does account that they buried her at 2.30 in the afternoon, but by the end of her burial, his brothers and sisters were scrapping up money to buy him a ticket to head north to St. Paul, Minnesota. This is actually where his sister Maggie Lee resides, and in his mother's final last request before she passed, he she wanted him to go live with her. So before we get into his life in Minnesota, I do want to say that in Gordon's memoir that I read, the biography, that his parents did fill him and all of his siblings with love. And he really didn't know he was poor until Mm. he was older. Growing up in Kansas, there was always segregated schools and warnings to avoid white neighborhoods after dark. And he recounts on how he always had to sit in the peanut gallery in the Negro section. Well, that's what it was called, the Mm -hmm. peanut gallery. 
And so for those of you that might not know what the peanut gallery is, do you know the peanut gallery? No. Tell me. It's the area that's highest up in, in a theater where like the cheapest seats normally. Oh, so they throw the peanuts? <laughs> yeah, yeah. People. Basically, oh, okay. they can throw peanuts down. Uh, we really don't have any peanut galleries anymore in theaters unless it's kind of like a non-renovated theater. Like a Broadway show, I guess, we might have. Like those types of theaters might have a peanut gallery, but not in movie theaters anymore. Mm-hmm. Gordon does say, though, he considers himself lucky. Uh, to be alive since he watched three of his closest friends die as they grow grew up and you know he could have easily been uh the victim of a mistaken identity or mm-hmm. you know any sudden acts filled by you know white men <laughs> yeah. so if you look at the timeline that he lived he was only nine years old when the tulsa riot started in 1921 in kansas so at a young age, he was already being shown how America would be in the next few years. Uh-huh. And it was, you know, pushing towards that civil rights movement. At 16, his mom dies. Last wish is for uh, him to go live with Maggie Lee. So he moves to, with his sister and he enrolls in Mechanics Arts High School in St. Paul. Because they needed money and for him to also help his sister out, Gordon got a job bussing dishes at a diner. Now, he was only paid... a week and given one meal a day. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't know how he survived because $6 is equivalent to $89.75 today. Wow. That's that's not a lot. No, it's not. (laughs) Now, Gordon's brother-in-law would end up taking $2 from him every week for rent and food. So this left Gordon with $4 every week. And he thought that was adequate enough for him. You would think... Gordon's life would seem to be on a normal track, right? Uh, Especially after his mom died, it seems like he's getting back on his Mm -hmm. It's not right. Nope, it's not. Plot twist. Plot twist. So one night, the night before Christmas, Gordon witnessed his brother-in-law shoving his sister. Now, this was because minutes before his brother-in-law was questioning... Minutes before, his brother-in-law was questioning Gordon and Gordon was kind of giving him attitude because Gordon wanted to leave the house. Now, because his brother-in-law got mad and his sister tried to stop, you know, the fighting, he shoved his sister, Uh uh, his brother-in-law shoved Gordon's sister. And so Gordon witnessed this and rushed towards his brother-in-law, just like swinging his Uh arms, trying to fight him. And so Gordon's brother-in-law ended up choking and banging his head like on the door. Only a couple minutes later, Gordon packed up his things and he left. So he witnessed all that and he left. So for the first time in Gordon's life, he was homeless. He ended up going to a pool hall. And when that closed for the night, he would ride the trolley or the bus between St. Paul and Minneapolis just to stay warm and safe at night. Mm -hmm. And he did this for all of winter break from school. Because remember, he got kicked out around Christmas time, so they're still on Mm -hmm. winter breaks. In order to survive, he did this during winter break. Well, during this time, like, that he was in the uh, pool hall, he would run into some people that kind of told them about this place called Pope's, and it was on the north side. And it was just some place that he could crash at. Gordon took this information and decided to venture north. And the so-called house was this four-story house in the nightlife district. So he ended up walking into a brothel house without knowing (laughs) it. He walks in, he's looking around, and the owner sees him, starts to come over. He notices a piano. Gordon notices a piano in the corner. 
So he's eyeing it, right? Like, oh, okay, like I could play that. And the owner asked him, hey, do you know how to play? And he said, yeah. And so he offered him a job at this brothel. Oh, my gosh. The piano. Head off learning. Yeah, but he's like 16 or 17 at this time. (laughs) Gordon got a room to stay. And, you know, once he was settled in, he did call his sister just to let, let her know he was safe. But, of course, this time in his life would end shortly. Someone, I'm guessing a customer, took a butcher knife and stabbed another customer in the neck and then pushed it with the knife in him down three stories into the alley outside of this brothel house. So Gordon witnessed all of this. And once the commotion started, he grabbed everything and he ran out the back and he looked over to, you know, his right. And there was the body of the guy that was pushed out of the window. And so cops were coming and he just took off before... Yeah, basically before, you know, (laughs) he got blamed blamed because, well, also he was underage. He wasn't even supposed to be working there. And then one, he was probably one of the few black people there. So Mm -hmm. they definitely would have accused him. Yep, for sure. So that night he went back on the bus, headed to St. Paul. And as he got off, he walked around until he finally found a place he could afford. And it was a two story clapboard house in the poor district. Mm -hmm. You have any idea what a clapboard house is? Uh, I mean, maybe clapphouse. So is it next to a theater? <laughs> no, no, a no. A lot of clapping? No. <laughs> so what? a clapboard house is basically like what's behind your head on the wall. It's like really thin, long, horizontal pieces of wood that are just kind of layered on the outside of the house. Oh, okay. But the term for it is called the clapboard house. Oh. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. (laughs) I do construction. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Jenny, who was the landlady of this clapboard house, she ended up giving Gordon a room. And soon he was back in school and he had some place to sleep. The only problem with staying at this clapboard house with Miss Jenny was... Miss Jenny. Now, she was a nice lady. She cared for people that rented the house or rented the rooms. But Gordon, for some reason, was different. Miss Jenny took it upon herself to sleep with Gordon. Oh, (laughs) upon herself. Yes, I say upon herself because I'm not judging her, but I'm also judging. In the biography, Gordon states that he like recounts saying to her, like, stop, like, because she asked him, like, oh, do you need help? taking your clothes off or like your shirt off because you know he just walked in and he (laughs) was like no ma'am like i'm good and she just kept doing it and so basically she just kind of took his clothes off and they had sex okay and it it doesn't state how old miss jenny is so because he's probably like he's still 16 17 around this time So So she could have been 20s to 40s to 50s. 60s? 60s. We we don't know. We don't know, Miss Jenny. We don't know. Not only did Miss Jenny do this, she also had really big demands about when Gordon should study, when he should be home. And the demands were so bad that Gordon would often sleep through his classes because he was just tired, <laughs> like helping out her and whatever else that he just couldn't stay awake. So this caused him to go to the principal's office or the next day go to the principal's office. And because this happened so much, the principal basically told Gordon if it happens anymore, he would have to be kicked out. Oh, kudos to him for still going to school. Right? I know. After all that he's seen. I actually write that pretty soon in my notes. <gasps> okay. So Gordon had to choose between 
Miss Jenny or and her demands or school? What do you think he chose? Miss Jenny. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. <laughs> he cool. chose school. And I wrote, I love that at a at a certain age, he was so determined. Mm-hmm. You know, he was determined despite all the hardships he had faced so far. He was still determined to stay in school. Yes. Stay in school. Exactly. Kids. Don't be like us. I'm just kidding. Forever in school. <laughs> oh, I thought you said like not go to school. <laughs> no, like don't be like us forever in school. Yes. Like we went through schooling and now we're. Yes. Never, never stopped. Never stopped. <laughs> so Gordon ended up packing all of his things for Miss Jenny's and leaving. He would end up back at the pool hall where he would study until they closed and then, you know, chat with the local customers. That came every night. And then, you know, after pool hall closed, he would go back and ride the bus back and forth all night just to stay warm. He did this for a really long time. And he does state that the harder it was for him to survive, the more he was determined to stay in school. Mm, Okay. And he really dreaded weekend and longed for Mondays because weekends he would have to find areas during the day to stay warm, Mm -hmm. find food. But at school, he had a set time and place where he would be in shelter. Mm-hmm. And then he had always had a meal waiting for him. Mm. So he never really liked the weekends, which I completely yeah. understand. Now, he reached out to his sister for help. But because his brother-in-law was being a butthole mm-hmm. and wouldn't let him go back in, Maggie and Gordon figured out a way to kind of get him some supplies i guess like Mm -hmm. food and so they would phone each other and then maggie would leave like a box out in the alley so her husband wouldn't know and then gordon was get his food or Mm -hmm. clothes etc whatever he needed march eventually came so we're past a little past winter and gordon got his hands on a newspaper he saw an ad for a piano player that paid 18 dollars a week plus tips Mm. so way more than what he was getting busing it was also free room and board so he would get paid more and he would have room and board Oh, wow. The only problem is it was located at Stumble Inn in Minnesota. Gordon did what he needed to, and he headed to Bemidji. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. That's the... Um... Hey, I believe you. <laughs> Whatever you say. You well, just... <laughs> thanks. I believe it. The confidence. By the time that he made it to Stumble Inn, he had to wait ages just to like talk to the owner. But once he was finally able to, he told him, the owner told him, that the job was no longer available. Sadness. He headed to a diner just to get a cup of coffee to relax before he, you know, made the the journey back home. Mm-hmm. So he ordered. He was sitting there when a couple of white men started to get on his nerves. Now, all he was doing was sitting there, ordered coffee, he got his cup of coffee. And so Gordon tried to ignore him, him, sorry, them. Mm-hmm. And they just kept yelling like... Everything you can imagine, you know, just really racist stuff. I'm not going to repeat it. If you want to know exactly, you can read his biography. Or look it up. Yes, or you can look it up. But Gordon, like all control left him. And he grabbed his cup of coffee and he just threw it on the men. I would have done the exact same thing. Oh my gosh. Like they deserve that. I just imagined that scene in my head and just seeing the coffee flying. and Yeah, (laughs) That's going to hurt. <laughs> yeah, it is. But they really did deserve it. And then because of that, of course, a fight broke out and Gordon got hit in the head by a chair and passed out. Like he just like they, somebody hit him in the head with a chair. He's finally, you know, passed. Like a wrestling match. Right yes. Exactly. Someone <laughs> threw in the chair and started just wanging people. So he finally, you know, comes to realizes he was knocked out. 
And all of a sudden he was in handcuffs and he was being hauled away. But he also was being hauled away with those two other dudes. So they all got put in jail. Oh, so not wow. just him. So he was re- released in the morning. Mm-hmm. And he decided he wouldn't allow his life to be conditioned by what others thought or did to him. So he he started just to hyper focus on him and just keep mm-hmm. going, like keep pushing after mm-hmm. this event. He eventually found a job as a waiter. But between the time of this incident and the job, he met a girl named Sally. And he fell in love with her. So he's in love. Then he eventually gets a job. And he also continued to still be in school. That's good. And he was, yeah. And he was working nights and, you know, just doing his thing. But there's always a but. (laughs) He was let go of his job, just as a lot of other people, because the market was crashing. Oh, the. So depression's coming up. Yeah. (laughs) So it it started to happen and millions, you know, of people Mm -hmm. lost their jobs. So, and of course, anybody who is probably black or a person of color probably lost their jobs first. Yeah. And lost everything. And lost everything. So eventually, trying to find work. He went everywhere, walked up and down, looking for help wanted. He did find work cleaning a store in the mornings before school. So like super early janitorial shift. Mm-hmm. Then he would go to school. He would attend, you know, attend school all day. Then he would work another job cleaning a store after school just to make ends meet mm-hmm. so that he could survive. But by the time 1931 hits, Gordon was working himself so thin, he passed out one day at work. He ended up going to the hospital. He was 164 pounds. Uh-huh. When he entered the hospital, he had dropped down 124 pounds in less than three months. Wow. Because he was just, he wasn't eating. He was just working. Yeah. He was going to. Stressed out too. He was just, yeah, stressed out. So on doctor's orders, he was to remain bed rest for the rest of the school year. Um, so for five months, he stayed in his room and his sister actually came and helped him. I believe he this was when he lived with his sister, Cora, at mm-hmm. this time. And so his sister helped him. Now, for some reason, Sally didn't contact him at all. <laughs> I wasn't able to find out why. I know that they were far apart, but... They're dating. They're they're a thing, supposedly. Yeah. And she didn't <laughs> she didn't do anything. So but by April, uh, Gordon gained all of his weight back, fully recovered, and that's when he really started to get into composing music. He eventually composed a song for Sally. And he was playing it on the piano around some well-known orchestra people. Because they heard the song, they loved it they decided to play it on the radio. And the song was called No Love. Part of the reason he was able to do this is because he was a, he got a job as a waiter. Remember I said, mm-hmm. um, or sorry, we backtrack. I didn't say that. After he got out of bed rest, he got a job as a waiter. But oh, okay, he, now that makes more yeah, sense. Sorry, I missed that. You're but um, but this he was a, a waiter at a very, very well-known kind of prestigious restaurant. And so... At this restaurant, live orchestra would perform. And so that's why he was able to get his song, No Love, played on the radio because he played it for them. Then, um, because he played it, it was on the radio. 
one uh one of his closing shifts he decided just to play the piano another or like a composer for one another orchestra mm-hmm. heard him play you know no love this song and it ends up leading gordon to join the larry funk orchestra so oh. he joined like this orchestra sounds, um, as like a composer i guess or something like that sounds like a very uh interesting name Larry Funk Orchestra. The LFO. <laughs> LFO. <laughs> <laughs> so once he joins, he is asked, asked to go on tour with them and, you know, to have a song No Love played. So he says, yeah, sure. I'll go on tour with you. So they're on tour. The orchestra makes it to New York, but this is where things go downhill fast. <laughs> Man, this Gordon cannot catch a break. All right. So they get to New York. They get to the place where they're about to perform. They all go through the front door, Gordon included. The people at the door, this dude at the door was like, nope, servants have to use the back. Oh, no. Yeah. And Gordon was like, dude, I'm a part of the band. Like, <laughs> let me go. Yeah. And he was like, Nah, man, still got to use the back door at this venue. So even though <laughs> he's playing, yes, he <laughs> was part of the band. Like he still had to use the back. But also what I find shitty. And I mean, maybe they did say something, but like it wasn't written down. But if I was a part of that orchestra, I'd be like, fuck you, dude. He's part of the band. Come yeah, in with not, us. We're not playing if he's not coming in. Right. Yeah. So but I don't think they did that because he went through the back door. <laughs> so he just caved in. And like, yeah. All right, I'm well, I mean, I'm sure he didn't want to start a scene or any fights, especially right, okay. since like yeah. he's he was invited on the tour. But obviously they liked him enough to invite him. You're not going to vouch for him. <laughs> yeah, thought, that's not. That's, yeah. That's, I was not good. Like, that's shitty. So yeah. they play and then Gordon's song No Love is starting to play. And he's like. Because technically he's like the composer. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't actually like play play. That's when he's told terrible news that the orchestra was disbanding. What? So they <laughs> basically went on tour. Like a, we have, I thought you were going to say something like, oh, they're going to go on a bigger tour. No. But you're like, nope. Nope. LFO is out. <laughs> LFO is out forever. <laughs> yeah. They're like, nah, we went on one tour. Good. <laughs> Not even one song. Retirement. <laughs> But this meant that Gordon was stuck in Harlem slash like New York area because they disbanded in New York. <laughs> and he's just like, all right, and I'm basically not- told them like, oh, find your own way back because <laughs> oh they were gosh. all because I guess they were all from around like New York area. Mm-hmm. But how shitty! So you invite him to tour, <laughs> knowing you're probably gonna break up, <laughs> and then <laughs> they're like, Peace, break man. up, and you're like, all right, find and you're your like, way home. Well, fuck, how am I supposed to get back to Minnesota? <laughs> Start walking. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Gordon. So he had to find money because he didn't have enough money. To go back to Minnesota. (laughs) So he had to find a place to stay and a job. So he had to figure out what to do next. (sighs) So he's walking around trying to find a room for rent or just a place to stay. And he finally found a room for rent with a lady named Miss Haskins. But Gordon was literally kicked out like a week later because he didn't have a job. So he didn't have money to pay rent. Oh my gosh. Uh, so yeah, he was kicked out. And then he did end up making friends with this dude at a hot dog stand. 
eventually got a job <laughs> at so the random thing i know his whole his whole story so it's far so is very random. random it's crazy he's just like thrown all over <laughs> but i mean he's surviving you know yeah, he's mean, doing his thing toes in music yeah exactly <laughs> so he's he works the hot dog stand for a bit <laughs> he works the hot dog stand for a bit <laughs> but <laughs> The owner passes away. <laughs> oh my gosh. Another thing. Yes. <laughs> so he loses that job. So he's out of a job again. He can't get a break. Yeah, no. He can't get a break. And we're only, we're just now getting into 1931. So this happened. <laughs> in like, what? Like a span of just like four years or oh something. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I wrote in here. After all this happened, so in April of 1933, so we're now in 1933. So yeah, this literally happened in a span of four years. In 1933, with his buddy that actually, not the owner, because he passed away of the hot dog stand, <laughs> his buddy that worked at the hot dog stand. <laughs> the funniest thing is just hot dog stand. <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's okay, like, so him and his like buddy joke. him and his buddy joined the CCC or Civilian Conservation Corps. Okay? All right. So once he passed his physical exam, Gordon was on a bus and headed to Fort Dix, New Jersey. So he literally <laughs> went from like Kansas to Minnesota to New York, now New Jersey. Oh my gosh. He's just going everywhere. <laughs> Gordon and a few others had to prove themselves in the CCC just because there was already like a hierarchy type thing there. Mm -hmm. Eventually, they found where they would fit in. And according to Gordon's memoir, they planted millions of trees, bought the Dutch elm disease, built fish ponds, fed wildlife, and cleared areas for camping grounds. Hmm. Now, between all this, I had no idea what Dutch elm disease was. So I had to look it up. Do you know what it is? Uh, I don't know. Okay, so it's basically a member of the sack fun guy in elm trees, mm -hmm. and it affects them and it spreads because elm bark beetles. So, like, elm bark beetles, like, take this fun guy. Oh, they, sp they spread it? Yeah, they, like, spread it through the tree. And then it normally affects, like, a single branch or that, like, it will be wilting or the branch will, like, lose a lot more leaves on it. So, that's called Dutch oh. elm disease. I didn't know that. Who knew beetles could spread a disease? I mean... Anything I mean, can. Yeah. Anything. All right. During the same year, though, so 1933, Gordon and Sally married. Oh. Their relationship's crazy, though. It sounds crazy. His life is crazy. Yeah. I mean, I guess it goes hand in hand. Gordon stated with the CCC until 1934, and him and Sally finally moved back to Minnesota. Minnesota. Yes. <laughs> so as they settled into life in Minnesota, Gordon had jobs, you know, here and there, just trying to make ends meet. Then in December, Sally gave birth to their son. And by 1935, Gordon was still looking for work. Oh, my gosh. So he decided to drive up to the North Pacific Commissioner. I think it's Commissionary in St. Paul and apply for a job there. He was offered a job shortly after he applied and he was working as a waiter on the railroad. And so he got to travel all over the place. And one day the train had a layover in Chicago. So Gordon decided to visit the Art Institute of Chicago to watch a movie. Hmm. We've been around there. Yeah, it's a really awesome like building. And yeah program it is so why he's you know getting ready to watch a movie you know they have commercials back then it was like i don't even know i guess it would be commercials or ads but anyway he saw a clip by a photographer and gordon was just enthralled by 
how it looked and what the photographer said. He left the theater. He made up his mind right then and there. He would become a photographer. That was it. <laughs> that was his choice. He was going to become a photographer. The train stopped in Seattle. So he, that was in Chicago. Got back on the train, did his waiter job. They had a layover or whatever in, in Seattle. And that's when he went on a hunt for a camera. He checked store after store. He didn't have much money on him. Supposedly only had like 12 bucks on him. Mm. But he wanted to leave with a camera. So he searched everywhere, finally found one for, I believe it was $750. And it was a Voight Lander Brilliant camera. And he had bought it immediately with some rolls of film. He also bought it, not because he couldn't actually afford it, but two, he really liked the sound of it. He said it sounded pre- professional. So that's why he got it. Like Which, the little clicks and yeah. sounds. Yeah. Voight Lander Brilliant. I could see how that sounds professional. Sounds exotic. Now, do you have any idea what this camera looks like? Uh, is it? Does it require both hands to hold? Kinda. To yeah. Hold, yeah. To operate. And yeah. Bulky. It is bulky. It's literally uh, the best way I can describe it is like a pop tart box. Okay. Okay, it looks like that. And then there's two circles, you know, for the lenses, like one above each other. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a flap that pops up at the top, like you're opening the Pop-Tart box mm-hmm. and you can like look down and see the image or you hold it at chest level and then take the picture. Oh, okay. Like that. That's what it looks like. And it only exposes 120 millimeter film. So think of the very square. Mm-hmm ones that's what that was with this camera though he started taking pictures that day with the roll of film he got he put it in started taking pictures shooting everything he saw he eventually made it back to minneapolis that's where he um developed the film at the eastman kodak shop they liked his photos so much they told him to keep it up and if he did keep it up they would let him exhibit their work because i'm guessing they have the shop and then they have like a little gallery section Mm -hmm. he kept shooting he got his work developed and soon the pioneer press displayed some of his photos he took i'm guessing they like they worked together kodak and that pioneer press he did not get paid for having uh his photos in the paper i'd be really mad if i didn't get paid Exactly. I mean, like, that is my work. Yeah, and actually he, he's pretty much in poverty, right? He needs the money. Yeah, he yeah. does need the money. But he never states that he was upset he didn't get paid. So I'm I'm guessing he's just so humble that he was just happy that his photos were in the paper. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, though, this did push his name out there and get him exposed. So it did help, even if he didn't get paid. Gordon, on the other hand... I wrote it right there. He was Gordon on the other hand was just excited that his photos were being shown. See? Oh, so you just like free press, but Yeah. It's an amazing feeling to have that, but man, this man needs money. So as things seem to be looking up, they're looking down. Gordon got into a fight with his boss. He deserved it because his boss was being a racist butthole. Oh, <laughs> and so okay. that's why. All right, that's and good. they fired. They fired Gordon, you know, because Of course. They're going to side with the racist. Then he went back home and he realized his wife left him, took their son, everything. Oh, she just took took, took everything. Mm -hmm. The kid, everything. Yep. And literally filed for divorce just like a couple months later. Hmm. With all this, Gordon moved back in with his sister, Cora, the one that helped him get back from 
when he was super exhausted. And so he's back in St. Paul and he he would be with her for a couple months before he actually would see his son and wife again. I think two or three months went by before he actually was able to see them again. Eventually, he'd be phoned by this guy named Harry Crump, who was the manager of the House of David, a semi-professional basketball team. Huh. Okay, I'm telling... Th- like you said, his white or his life is crazy. It is because Harry asked Gordon to come and play with them since he watched him play a couple times around the city. <laughs> oh my god! And Gordon was like, "I haven't played basketball in years. Like I'm not very good at it." <laughs> and Harry was like, "Too bad. We want you." <laughs> and he told him he had three months to get in shape to go play with them. Oh my! So gosh. Gordon did it. <laughs> he got into shape. <laughs> Decided to play with a semi-professional basketball team. And um, I literally wrote on my notes, I was like, such a turn of events. Oh my gosh. That is like super crazy. Like goes from from music to like photography and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. then basketball. Yeah. <laughs> it's, oh my gosh. it's crazy. Now, Gordon was the oldest one on the team. But from all accounts, <laughs> he seemed to really enjoy it. So that's good. You know, that's good. But it was a very small journey. And, you know, it was just a little stint. Basketball was over. So then he started he started to photograph everything again. Starting after that, he photographed people, literally everything. But also during this time, between 1939 and 1940, he married Sally again. Oh, Oh, you're kidding. (laughs) No, I am not kidding. He married the lady that divorced him? Yes. So they remarried again. Oh my god! And they had a daughter that same year. It's so crazy. I'll tell you, Gordon, slow down, man. Like, your life is an adventure. Eventually, Gordon started to shoot photos for this place called Frank Murphy's Town and Country Department Store. That is a mouthful to say. Frank Murphy's Town and Country Department Store. Store. I, I like the accent. You look at the West, <laughs> Southern accent. Store. Store. I have a really weird accent, so. Yeah, that's all right. It's all right. Now, this was in St. Paul. When doing uh, all these photos, he ended up having some of them displayed in the department store itself. So one day, Marva Lewis sees his photos. And ask him to take a pic- her pictures. Do you know who Marva Lewis is? Musician? No. Oh. She's the wife of boxer Joe Lewis. <gasps> so if, do you know who Joe Lewis yes, is? I okay. Do know. For those of you that don't know who Joe Lewis is, he's basically the greatest heavyweight boxer of all time. According to a slew of people on the internet and also Muhammad Ali, this is a huge deal. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to fight the internet and especially Muhammad Ali um, if he's the greatest heavyweight boxer. I'm going to believe it. All right. Marva, during this time, tells Gordon and convinces him that he should move to Chicago because there's nothing here and he could get way more opportunities into Chicago to get noticed. Mm-hmm. He did it, right? <laughs> yep. Well... He goes home and he tells Sally, like, hey, we're going to Chicago. Let's go. And of course, going to Chicago, (laughs) (laughs) Chicago. And Sally was like, huh, you know, we'll see about that. But he ends up going to Chicago in the end. And as he's in Chicago now, his family does eventually go to Chicago, but he moves there first and then he brings Sally and his kids with him. So during this time, he accidentally meets this 
curator of the Southside Art Center, and that's David Ross. David Ross convinced Gordon to come work with him. So he ran into Gordon. Gordon's like, oh, I shoot photos. He sees some of his photos. And David's like, hey, we have a fully equipped darkroom for you to use. Why don't you come shoot photos with us? You can use the darkroom as you please for your personal stuff and for us, and we'll give you a job. Gordon was like, all right, heck yes. He got a job as a photographer with the Art Center, and he just started shooting for various newspapers because, you know, he works for the Art Center, so newspapers would call him. And, um, yeah, he just kept doing it. But then he also did the same stuff he did when he first got his camera. He just started walking around the city shooting various people, you know, families. And he actually so came... anything he wanted? Yeah, anything. Well, he he would shoot for what the newspaper wanted or any paper wanted, but okay. then he would also use, like, as he was doing that, developing those photos, he would develop the photos that he would just, like, take as he walked home or maybe no, just, like... A random place. Yeah, fine. just random stuff. Okay. But while he was doing this, he ran into a family... He got talking to him and he's like, I'll take a couple of photos and I can develop those for you and give them to you. And they're like, no, 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 it's okay. And he was like, yeah, let's let's do it. Comes across them, you know, tells them all this. The family eventually invites the, him back to their house so that he can actually, you know, document it. Mm-hmm. So he goes in and he recounts like just a bunch of broken things everywhere. He looks, it's like a one bedroom house. There's one mattress and... By the way, this family is like mom, dad, and three kids. And so eventually the wife goes, oh, like, why don't you want to want to come look at the bathroom? Bathroom was just mm-hmm. bad. See, right. It was filthy. And then, you know, obviously when you have conditions like that, where, you know, your landlord or whatnot doesn't want to fix things, there's only so much that you can mm-hmm. clean or bleach to get clean. And she, I remember her or saying in the book, I remember her saying along the lines, like, would you bathe your kids in this? Mm-hmm. Which is just yeah, so, so sad. Like- and I really think this is what sparked Gordon to what we know, like his photos to be as today. Mm-hmm. Because he just, you know, looked at that. And I think this just opened up his eyes and said, you know what? The world needs to see an inside look at what being yeah. poor in like, America is. Document everything. But not just poor, but poor black family. Because, you know, poor white family was different Mm -hmm. than poor black family. And just the average family, you know, that everyday life. With this, he literally continued to keep photographing. And soon he would have his own show at the Art Center because he kept photographing. Before he has his show at the Art Center, he actually won a Blue Ribbon Award at the American Negro Exposition in Chicago. This was also known as the Black World's Fair in the Diamond Jubilee Exposition. Hmm. If you're Texan, this would be equivalent to having your stuff at the Texas State Fair. Oh, like that's how a lot of exposure. Yes. Hopefully that comparison helps. But if you are from Texas, just think of the biggest event in your city. And that's kind of what it is. Finally, in 1941, after winning this award, and with enough photos under his belt, the Southside Art Center hosted Gordon's Park's first exhi- exhibition. Oh, snap. Yes. And then he gets big, right? Yeah, well, kind of. Yes. <laughs> this literally opened so many doors for him. And eventually he got to photograph Eleanor Roosevelt 
at the art center in October. So he had a show. He's getting bit. Mm-hmm. He photographs Eleanor Roosevelt in October for a magazine called Crisis. Some of you listeners might know this, but I have no clue what Crisis magazine is or anything about it. Do you? Uh, it's like uh, just a random collection of things like articles no. and stuff. Yes and no. It's actually the oldest black oriented magazine in the world. How fucking cool is that? It's literally been in print since 1910. It's still in print today. Oh, really? And it's all about, you know, racism and black Americans and all Mm -hmm. of that. Yeah. (laughs) It's still in print. That's interesting. It's very cool. I think it's a little bit obviously different now than when it was, but I just thought it was so cool. Gordon's photos were in several magazines during this time. So the exhibition really opened up Mm -hmm. everything. He got offered to... photograph some fashion and he was like okay sure never done it but i'll do it and i'm like yes this is yes don't be scared to try new things (laughs) he you know was like cool i'll just fashion photography walking around still taking photos that you would see you know everyday people so he was doing it all soon one of gordon's friends at the art center jack delano who he was also a photographer told gordon he should apply to this fellowship it was called rosin wald fellowship at 29 years old that's exactly what gordon did after waiting so long literally weeks he finally received a letter if he got this fellowship what do you think it said i think i said no no, he got accepted. Oh, okay. And wrong. he received a grant of $1,800. That, I didn't do the equivalent of what it would be in today's world. But a lot. I'm guessing that's a lot. So with this news, that means he's headed to Washington, D.C. So he heads to Washington, D.C. His family did follow him there, by the way. But it wasn't until he was settled that they would join him. Man, Gordon. What the heck? (laughs) Life's crazy. And now you had a show and boom, you're now traveling. Listeners, I'm really sorry, but there's going to be a part two because we're already almost 50 minutes in. I do have to edit some of this stuff, but my timestamp for episodes are 50 minutes max, at least. (laughs) We're going to stop there. Listeners, stay tuned for next crazy. week for part two. It gets even crazier. Oh, my gosh. His Boy. life is crazy, but crazier in a good way, okay? I just want to let everybody know. It doesn't go down. It goes up. I know there's been a lot of down, 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 but there's going to be a lot of up, up, up. Do you have anything to say to these listeners? Stay tuned. It's going <laughs> to get crazier. <laughs> Bye.